The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Now, normally, we start our show with news and notes, but today we're going to shake things up a little bit, introduce our special guest, Ron Bergamini, with Action Environmental and Interstate Waste Services. Ron joined Action as CEO in April 2007 after a 20-year career as an attorney representing various sectors of the business community, including many organizations in the solid waste and recycling industries. Immediately before joining Action, he served as General Counsel for Interstate Waste Services. He received his undergraduate degree in finance from New York University and is JD from Suffolk University in Boston, Massachusetts. Presently, Ron sits on the advisory board of the New York City Business Integrity Commission, He's also a member of the Green Business Committee of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce and the New York City Citizens Budget Commission. Ron is the vice president of the Columbians, a philanthropic organization in Bergen County and a former columnist for BC Magazines for five years. Ron and his partner, Mike DeBella, have supported Hopes and Heroes, Wounded Warriors, and the October Women Foundation. For over 10 years, Ron has participated with Pencil an organization that inspires innovation and improves student achievement by partnering business leaders with public schools. Currently, Ron and Action have partnered with the Lou Gehrig Middle School to create their own environmental club to address environmental issues within their community. Ron Bergamini, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm glad you're here. I just wanted to kind of dig into that real quick. So you've got environmental uh, Action Environmental Services and then Interstate Waste Services. Let's start there. What's the difference between the two? Well, our parent company is the Action Environmental Group, and underneath that are two distinct businesses. One, Action Environmental Services, which provides solid waste and recycling services for New York City. Right. Distinctly New York City. Interstate Waste Services does the same work, but in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, and a couple of counties in uh, New York State on the west side of the Hudson River. It's, it's got to be an interesting business. I, I've got to believe that you and I have got to sit around over beers because I bet you've got stories that, uh, that, that rival the, the Tony uh, Soprano and the rest of them. But I'll, I digress. I'll, uh, I'll get back to that at some point off the air. Right, but, that's um, an image that we're working very hard to overcome, and I, I think we've, we've mostly got that. But sure, we have interesting stories. Like most businesses, David, 
it's a simple business on one sense, but then there's a lot more complexity to it. Well, exactly, and I and I think there's that there's that stereo stereotypical kind of, um, and, and that's one of the things that you, when you and I met um, initially, it's it's that you've got that knee jerk reaction. Oh boy, you're in the waste hauling business. That means you're with Tony Soprano. But really and truly, if anyone goes to your websites, and we'll give those websites out at the end of the show or, or whenever, the point is is that you know this is not. This is not what we saw in The Sopranos. You guys have got incredibly sophisticated equipment. You've got, you're tied together electronically with technology that's just unrivaled, not just in New York City and New Jersey, but probably the country. And you guys have been put a lot of money behind, like you said, changing that stereotype. Right. The, the industry, and it's not just our company, but there are a lot of professionals in the industry. And that, that's the biggest difference that you've seen really over the last 20 years or so, and it's taking off in the last five years, where technology is entering our field. Uh, when you look across the country, obviously, you, we all see what's happening with technology. Right. Well, we might be um, in the slow class, but we're the smart kid in the slow, cl- slow class. <laughs> and and we, we like to look at our, think of ourselves as thought leaders in the industry and bringing new innovation, and you, you mentioned before about some of the equipment we have using optical sorting uh, equipment in, in our facility in the Bronx, which uses laser technology to actually be able to better separate recycle items from typical trash. So that's just one example of trying to take things to another level. Yeah, and we're going to get into that in a little bit further because that's that's an it, not only is that exciting just just in your piece of the business, but in my world, in our world, in flexible packaging and packaging in general, that's an amazing piece of equipment that you've got, and I can't wait to share that with um, with our other clients or other listeners. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, you've got. Action with waste hauling and recycling in an urban setting. And IWS, you've got the suburban, even rural areas. Help our listeners have an idea of the challenges. Right. Uh, In IWS, it's part rural, which is in New York State. And then in New Jersey, it's classic suburbanite. Um, New York City is where the real challenges are. A, most of the work has to be done at night. So people put out their trash, their recyclable material, 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. If you're ever in Times Square, which it seems everyone's in Times Square these days, <laughs> you, see all the, you see the trash, and the next morning, it's just gone That's, by magic. Right. Well, it, it's not magic, of course. It's a lot of effort, and if you've ever just driven a car in New York City, you know how it's a lot more challenging than driving a car anywhere else. Sure. Now you have trucks on roads that are full with pedestrians at night, traffic. I don't have to tell you or any of your listeners no. about traffic. We all have it in New York City, unfortunately. I love living and working where I do, but traffic is quite a challenge. And you'd be surprised at some of the people, uh, particularly on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and how many people want to take pictures uh, with in front of our trucks. We, we pride ourselves on the... <laughs> On how our trucks look, we'll get people who jump on the trucks oh. after coming out of the bar. Right. Oh, the challenges are many. 
And that's and that's crazy because obviously that you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out you got you got safety issues you got other concerns but Absolutely. I never thought about that but I could totally see back in the day um, coming out of that bar after a few um, uh, adult beverages um, thinking that that's really you know that'd be really funny but um, not not anymore I don't think I'd want to go right and even you know I don't want to give the impression that New Yorkers are all drinking but. During the day in the, in the hustle and bustle, because we're still on the streets at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, so people right. are on their way to work, people are in a rush. And sometimes you say to yourself, geez, you're, you're squeezing in between our truck as it's doing some work there. You're putting your life on the, sure. in the hands of people you don't know. Right. Uh, you need to be a little bit more careful. Yeah, and, and that's and, to, yeah. You're tough. You're tough because you got that you know really tight confined spot in there, and it's just geez, oh man, it's crazy. Right, and then the the infrastructure, like in cities all over the country, unfortunately, uh, really isn't geared up for the volume that we see. Right, and believe me, that's a challenge, and the, the tolls are a challenge. The money we spend on tolls would make your head spin. Ugh. So, New so- York does have challenges, like a, a Boston, Chicago, right. uh, New York in particular, because of its size and. And some of these streets were built 200 years ago. And you Many guys have them. to navigate them. That's, them. that's <laughs> unbelievable. Right. Crazy. Right. So take us back to the beginning, if you will. You, you know, Action started with two trucks and grew organically. What was what was the waste hauling business back in 1999? I know you may not have physically been there, if you will, because you kind of came on board in 2007. But I know that you were part of that industry, or at least you kind of had your hands in there. Was it still in, in, back in 1999, full of corruption uh, that we we, we kind of talked about and, and laughed about at the beginning? No, no, that and I wasn't there in in, um, in the 90s, but I lived here. Of course, so I know right. I represented some people on in New Jersey, but really the Giuliani administration um, ended that fairly abruptly and successfully. And I wouldn't be here now if he hadn't. Right. And obviously, not just him, but um, Robert Mulgenthal and the, the folks in, in the city. Then, um, and what happened is immediately thereafter, some large public companies came into the city, but they haven't stayed. There's only one publicly traded company uh, in New York City now, and I think the, the part of that reason is you have to be on the ground. You have to know the area. You, you, you need to know the people. It's hard to run a business that's so local from halfway across the country, and because of the challenges that we touched upon, the urban challenges, a lot of those companies just decided they're, they're stronger in different, different areas. But to be sure, there's plenty of people who can do it in New York. It's just most of them, if not all of them, are from the area. And that really gives you guys an advantage. I mean, you guys have, have been there. You yeah. live there. You understand the challenges like we talked about earlier. And I think really that's something that, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, I'm not just sound like I'm tooting the horn uh, uh, of action, if you will. But but really, that's that's a big feather in your cap. You guys have been there. You live there. You understand what it's all about. Right, and by, by we, it's our whole team. Right. The, the drivers are people who've lived there. You'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but finding truck drivers is hard enough, period. There's right. a nationwide issue going on right now. Well, in New York, it's tenfold. Where you'll have truck drivers who've worked their whole lives successfully, you know, how to drive a truck in New Jersey, the Midwest, 
I mean, in New York City, they just don't want it because of the stress level. Right. It, it's just a stressful job. And you know, we, we work hard w- with our people, and this applies to any industry, of course, but to train our people well, to find people who we think can do the job. So we make sure they understand it beforehand so they know what they're getting themselves into. And it takes a toll. We're fortunate there. And even our our mid-level management, our, our senior operations guys, almost to a person, all started driving a truck. No kidding. I'm the odd, I'm, I'm the odd man out. And, and, and let's stay with that. We've got, that. we've got a few more minutes before a break. We're talking with Ron Bergamini, CEO of Action Environmental Interstate Waste Services. But let me just stay with that for a second because – the trucks are a big part of your aura, uh, part of your brand promise, or whatever it is, because you guys have invested so much money. We're not talking about these small, rinky-dink little trucks. You guys have put gazillions of dollars into really and truly standing out. I mean, those trucks are clean. They are incredibly sophisticated. Thank Tell you. us a little bit more of that, um, because I know it's a big part of your brand promise. Well, may surprise listeners to know that a garbage truck today costs approximately $300,000. Jeez. And there are different bells and whistles that come with them, but one of the things that we focus on, and plenty of other companies do as well, it is this safety, proper lighting, and today we're looking at making, in effect, what you would call smart trucks. Right. By having computers in trucks that can speak to you, as as it were. Uh, We're experimenting with that now. That's something new for us, but we're very excited about it to once again try and take the industry to another level. Other companies have done it, not that many. Uh, we've traveled, frankly, across the country to understand how they've done. Uh, and uh, That's what I, what I believe is the next phase of the industry of getting trucks this uh, just I want to totally stay with that. We've got to take a quick break, Ron. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Ron Bergamini, CEO of Action Environmental and Interstate Waste Services. I'd like to stay with that. Smart trucks are very interesting um, because I I know you've not only invested a lot of time and money, but you're still going to invest some time and money. So, folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You've got a great product, and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes, because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net. 
or call us at 866-440-2123. Biz Locker Radio is a high-energy business show that features compelling conversations and cutting-edge business content that you can use to improve your performance today. Hosted by Kelly Riggs and presented by the Business Locker Room, Biz Locker Radio features dynamic thought leaders from sales, marketing, leadership, business strategy, social media, and more. If you're in business, you need an edge. Develop that edge with Biz Locker Radio. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and 3 p.m. Central on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information, visit bizlockerradio.com. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box, ladies and gentlemen. Talking with my friend and the CEO of Action Environmental and Interstate Waste Services, Ron Bergamini. So, Ron, let's just kind of step back a little bit back to the, to, you know, how has the business changed, if you will, um, you know, from the from the 1999, if you will, there wasn't this this big push in recycling environmental stuff. You know, I know there always was concern, but was it was it true that back in those those days, it was you know we weren't really dealing with the environmental picking up the recycling or whatever it is. We're dealing with just getting the, getting the trash picked up. Is that is that a fair statement? Well, I think that. Recycling's been happening since the 70s, but the sophistication of it has all changed. Good point. So Good point. the foundation foundation was laid some time ago, but now the industry, certainly our company, but the whole industry is becoming far more sophisticated than it was. Like I said before, professionals are in the industry. We have business analysts. We collect data, uh, which wasn't done before. And even to this day, there, there are some small companies so-called mom-and-pop companies with good people, hard-working people. But now we like to think of ourselves as smart-working people. I take it as a given that people are going to work hard, uh, but you have to work smart. And the the technology, and I'll give you one example, which has really been a changer for us, is how we collect data. The world, as you know, is awash in data. But what do you do with it? You have so much of it. So we've gotten ourselves a, a... program we put together. We went out to the market and we have a team of people that manage this and we're able to, to track how we're doing and have so many more metrics than we otherwise would have had. But what's extra good about it, if you will, is we share it with the whole company. So rather take things like reporting the financial results, instead of six weeks after the event, to right. say, oh, geez, we're not doing as well here, we're sometimes almost 
as close to live as possible. It, it updates every few hours. And by having this information and sharing it with people, we do what I like to call shining a light on something. So take safety, for example. Once you start to tell your managers and your drivers and all of your people, frankly, hey, look how many incidents we have. Right. These incidents cost money. Take a look. Here it is on the board. Not only does, I assume people want to work for a company that cares about safety, so we get that notion across. Of course. And then when people see it, as opposed to just taking it for granted that, oh, well, you drive a few million miles a year, a year of course you're going to have an accident. Well, right. okay, but how can we, what, what steps can we take to A, prevent yeah, what, them? We, what can we learn happen? from it? Exactly. What can we learn from them? Do, do we, for, for example, in New York City, we, we've now learned from collecting this data that we have many incidences from where we're making a right turn. So you would think a right turn's easy. But trucks have to go a little wider. Taxis try and sneak in. Yes. Not realizing we're turning. So just having that knowledge, we're working on better um, signals, different lighting, but without knowing what was causing the problem, you can't fix it. That's fast. And how did you guys? I mean, and again, that's one of the. It's a. It's a. That's a big thing, and I I want to stay with that for a second. So, you've. How are you gathering this data? Is that something that the the drivers are reporting? That you've got some sort of a a computer model software? Tell us more about that. That's interesting. It's sort of all of the above. I mean, we do have a computer uh, model, um, or it's called the ClickView. So, give them Mm -hmm. some uh, free free press there, Uh, but. Of course, we have to feed that. So it starts with drivers and the incident report. They, they send that into their supervisor, moves over to the risk management department. Uh, where we, we don't like to say we have the safety department because we're all in the safety department. But it's a series of those steps. We gather the information and we look at it. Some folks are looking at it daily. I look at it at least weekly and weekly we talk about it. We discuss what went right, what went wrong, and most importantly, how do we learn from both? I just think it's a great reminder for everybody that's listening because, you know, one of the things we talked about at the very beginning, Ron, was that we're way beyond just picking up the trash. We're talking about this is a very sophisticated industry that's not the Tony Soprano days, of course, and you're proving it right there. Right, and it's amazing. I mean, we've been doing this with with the data probably for about, close to two years now, and what a difference it makes. Take violations, for example. You, you get tickets. It's going to happen. But right. that doesn't mean you're going to accept that so easily. Right. Right. Well, now that we show people how much money it costs from the, the drivers of the truck to the sales team, where they might sign up a, an account. That's what they want to do. That's what they're, they're paid to do. Right. But it, it might be an unsafe spot. And Jeez, we keep having the same accidents in the same same area. It, it's because it's so tight. So, geez, do we want this? Do we need different equipment? Do we, do we charge them more for the it? for the risk that we right. take for that? Right. Perhaps right. But the the point is really giving people this information, so then they can do something with it. You can't right. expect someone to fix a problem if they don't know it's a problem. 
That's a great point. And I just want to kind of make sure that we kind of touch base um, a little bit on the, you know, the traditional trash hauling. But now there's this recycling and not just few bottles, but Action's really invested a ton of money in this optical sorter. Tell us about that, what it does, those kind of things, because I think it's a fascinating piece of technology that you guys have invested in. Well, in recycling in, in general, just to take a half a step back, materials put into um, a conveyor, and it's on belts, and if you can picture people with their hands, pull certain materials out of it. So in our case, New York City is paper-centric. That's the recyclable that we have the most of and that right. has the most value. So people have to picture a conveyor going across, and you can see, see it on our website. There's trash. We don't want that. We want paper. We'll pull some plastic. Different people have different responsibilities there. There's a lot of people that do it. We, just in that site, we employ about 100 people. But the optical sort it does and how it works exactly is above my pay grade. <laughs> Mine uses, too. Mine too, Ron. <laughs> it uses it's laser technology. So the technology's been around a while. It's applied differently. And in our case, look, white paper is something that you want. So it, it's going across a conveyor much faster than you or I'd be able to pick something out. And it reads what the material is. So with a series of air jets, it then blows that paper in one direction and lets the other go in another direction. Incredible. And it just allows you to get a cleaner product. Because ultimately, that's what you want. And that's what buyers of recycled material, they want one product. They, they don't want, no, no one comes to you to buy a mixture of different grades of plastic and different types of paper. They, they want one. So this yeah, and, and, and that, series that, of five some, of them in the belt. Is that <laughs> something that this, this optical um, um, scanner, if you will, or sorter, I should mm-hmm. say, um, is that something that you that that you developed that has been out there? I mean, I no, no, are there it, tons it, of people with these there. kind of things? Excuse me. Are there tons of companies with these optical sorters? I got to believe you're one of the few. In, in our area, um, I, I only know of one other company that has it, and that's the company um, Sims Recycling. I believe they have them. They have a facility to handle New York's residential waste. Uh, Taking another step back in New York City, the Department of Sanitation picks up the residential uh, material and the commercial industry picks up the commercial. And the DSNY, who does that uh, in New York, they do a uh, Herculean work uh, picking up that for the 8 million people that live in the city. Uh, yeah, so I would think. Otherwise, I don't know if that, not too many people have this in our industry. Uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you the number, but we're clearly the exception. Well, and I think that, and that's really kind of what I was trying to emphasize. It's it's not, you know, I didn't want you to feel like you're tooting your horn, but I wanted to make sure that I brought that up because I think it's really important. I mean, it's something that shows, um, you know, that you've spent a ton of money and ton of time, and, and it's an important to you guys, not just for the waste hauling, but the recycling side of things. Right. And so, it's more prevalent, actually, in Europe, and that's where we, we purchased the technology, and we went to to look around um, Europe and a couple parts of the United States to see what worked best. You know, it's it's interesting you just brought that up. I was just on our, uh, in fact, our, our, our live radio show, and I was talking with a guy in, a, in the contract manufacturing business, and one of the things that I think all of us could learn is about recycling, if you will, is going overseas into Europe, even into Asia, 
because they're, um, well, let's stick with Europe, for example. I mean, they only have so much space, um, and, and they really are ahead of the curve here of us here in the U.S. in their recycling laws and what they require. And, um, boy, if anybody wants to kind of get a heads up on, on where that industry is going, they're probably five years ahead of us uh, in the recycling world. Would that be a fair statement in your eyes, Ron? I, I, I think it probably is in, in what they understand, and I think people in this country are just starting to understand really is Recycling is expensive. It, it may be counterintuitive to some, but you don't save money by recycling. It, right. it takes the same effort. You're, you're sending a truck. You're running uh, the material through this optical sorter or whatever device others may use. So you, you want to be green. You want to do things right. I'm all for that. The industry's all for that, but people have to pay for it. Right. And that's what sometimes there's a disconnect that, oh, if, if I'm recycling this, it should be free to be taken away right. or, or less money. Right. right. And because the recycling market changes, and, and frankly, right now the recycling market, uh, at the low end of its, um, the commodity prices are on the lower end of the last five years or so. So when you recycle these these items or different items, if you will, do you sell them? Do you kind of group up this white paper that you were talking about in certain types of plastic, and then you look for buyers of those items? Is that how the I'm, I'm, Yes. We're, we're okay. actually the middleman. Got it. We're, we're collecting it and then selling it, and other folks process it. And with us, pulp being our primary product, cardboard, paper, and frankly, most of that is sold to uh, companies in China. China has darned. the strongest. Yeah, strongest appetite for that, and what's a little strange, I I found myself laughing from time to time, thinking that here we have this New York City, New Jersey, solid waste business, yet I'm real concerned about the economy in China, because that impacts our business. Isn't that crazy? And now China's economy being lower um, by, you know, more historical standards of the last 10 years, the product is just not as valuable, because they're once insatiable appetite for this has, has waned a bit. <laughs> it, it just makes me think, and it's a total sidebar, but I have a, um, one of our clients is in the sand business. They're basically, uh, um, they, they, basic, they, 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 they mill their own sand that's used in fracking. And what was interesting is I was talking to one of the, one of the business owners in an interview, as a matter of fact, and they export, export sand to Saudi Arabia. And, uh, and I'm thinking, What? Um, the place is full of sand, but evidently this particular grade of sand um, is, is, is more coarse or whatever it is, and it's a lot easier to um, in, in heavy construction or certain types of heavy construction. So they were exporting to Saudi Arabia, and I just, just like you were talking about um, this insatiable appetite for the, for the, for the types of um, paper to go to, to China, I, I thought I heard it all with the sand, but that probably takes the well, cake. Sand surprises me. Next year you'll tell me people are selling snow to the Eskimos. <laughs> Eskimos. I know. It's crazy. Unbelievable. Well, but so, if you think about Ch- Ch- China, what people might not realize, I'm, I'm told, it has about 7% of the world's forestry when it has 18, 19% or so of the world's population. Right. So there's that disconnect. And while they use the pulp for many things, uh, what you might not realize is a lot of what they're using for a consumer product, such as tissues, toilet paper towels, right. or their middle class. You have 300 million households buying a box of tissues a week. 
That's a lot of tissues. That's a lot of tissues, and they need all the paper they can get. That's for that's for darn sure. Unbelievable. So let's just kind of touch base real quick on this uh, on this waste recycling business, if you will. Um, the overall, this is kind of like a thirty thousand foot view. But um, is it just as it yearly contracts? Do you guys? I mean, you know, does because you guys pick up the trash and do the recycling, of course, in this, and I know we're talking um, action, but in New York City. Um, but in general, is that like a, a bid contract that goes for 10 years, five years, three years? I, I don't know anything about that business. Well, across both uh, New York and New Jersey, it varies quite a bit, presumably like a lot of businesses. We have some small customers where we don't have contracts with at all. The bodegas, perhaps, nail salons. We offer right. contracts to everyone, of course. Um, your buildings in New York City, they will have a bid process. Um, some of the public... Oh, okay, I see. All right, but, that makes sense. The subway system, or, or the public entities, they'll all have uh, bids. Local municipalities will have bids. So it really runs the, the gamut. And what's interesting, our client base ranges from the pizza parlor on the corner to Yankee yep. Stadium, Madison Square Garden, near the, the city field, marquee names, but the bread and butter are your small, small businesses. That's what we have mostly around here. You know, and I just and I and I kind of jumped in there thinking that it was it was really negotiated on a city basis, if you will, or a particular area, if you will. But but now I see it where. So really and truly, your sales folks and your team are out there negotiating, like you just said, with the small mom and pop florist and the pizza parlor, but also a, a, a you know the Mets, the frankly uh, you know City Field, and that's a right. whole different ball game. That's crazy. Never thought about that. And and, and and by the way, while the industry is becoming a lot more sophisticated, so are the customers, and particularly when you're in some of your larger buildings and the stadiums, for example, they'll have sustainability directors. You know, when you and I went to college, no one thought, oh, I'm going to be sustainability right. when I grow up. Right, right. Yeah, we, we, we like that, though. We, right. We want an educated customer because they know that it costs more money to recycle. That They know what it takes. They appreciate it. They love coming out to see our facility. We give them the tours. Universities are great with this. Hospitals are great with it. Restaurants seem to be pretty good with it, too. So we absolutely prefer the knowledgeable consumer. Yeah, and I think that plays well into any business per, per se, too, like you were saying Agreed. earlier. Yeah, when, it, when, when somebody understands the business or the danger of it or all the steps that you guys go through, um, now they have a better idea. It's not just this cutthroat sort of uh, uh, business. There's a lot more pieces to that puzzle. If you're selling any product and you're, you're doing it fairly and as best that you can, you have nothing to hide, so you want right. your customer to know as much about it as you can. Frankly, that's a lot of what a sales team, a customer representative, do is to work with customers, educate them, answer questions. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things. And if anyone goes to um, your websites, which we'll we'll definitely give out towards the end of the show, uh, of course. But the point is, is that you guys are very upfront. You're very open book, and kind of you know mm-hmm. where you fit, what you're all about. And I think it's that says a lot. And I think you know, like you just said before, sophisticated customers really buy into that, and I know that they appreciate that because it's like, look, it doesn't. You're very transparent, uh, and it doesn't look like you're trying yeah, to hide anything. I think you need anything. to be. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think a lot of cues from Silicon Valley 
and how they do things and transparency with customers, transparency with your employees. Right. We share as much as we can with folks. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's a unique twist on on what people would think an old or tired or stale industry, if you will, or state industry uh, is a, probably a better word. But you know, you're putting this really kind of unique twist and and modern twist on it. Uh, you know, through the technology we talked about, through the um, the various steps, and, and being transparent. I think it's you know, I think it's a very cool, very cool take on the business. Well, I, I appreciate that that it is what I would call it the professionalization of the industry. Right, and we're we didn't start it, but we're running with it. Right. So tell us a little bit about you know you've got all this trash. Does it you know I, I being in Cleveland or outside of Cleveland, I see these these trucks that are filled with trash and they're they're driving a million miles to to, to find a landfill. But what's happening with the trash in New York City or New Jersey for that matter with uh, with IWS? But tell me a little bit more. Do you negotiate with landfills? Do you what do you do with all that trash? Dumb question, but just interested. No, no, no. It's a it's a good question. The, the trucks that you see actually picking up the trash, at least in this area, they're not the ones who are going to the landfill, because we okay. don't have landfills that are close by. In other parts of the country, that, that may be different. So, here we stop and bring them at what's called a transfer station, aptly named. It, yeah. We transfer the trash from the smaller trucks that you see to larger trucks to have those uh, take to landfills, sometimes to um, waste to energy facilities, uh, otherwise to landfills outside of the immediate area because there are none in our, our immediate area. How close do you think um, we are to being, and I, I, again, you were talking about landfills or not having those the particular landfills close to you guys, but as a country, as a, you know, you're in the industry, are we close to being tapped out with available space for landfills? Is that something that's going to happen in our kids' generation? Um, what are I, I, your that, thoughts? That won't happen in our kids, 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 kids' generation. There's, there's okay. plenty of landfill space in the country. Good. And how close are we, do you think, we are to being able to really do something like harness the, the fuel and energy um, from trash? I mean, is that how close do we, are we with that kind of a, a, a technology? Well, we're, we're, we don't do that part of the business. Oh, I know you guys so don't. I'm just talking about it in general as far as the, uh, you know, there, that there kind of stuff. Some companies are, are taking some steps to it. I don't know how much it moves the needle in the right. And, and, you know, from an energy perspective, certainly Europe, once again, talking about right. Europe, yep. um, they, they, they're doing a, a lot more of it. I think there are some myths with regard to waste-to-energy facilities. And I, I could say this, this isn't self-serving because we don't own any of them, but that technology has advanced to the point where the emissions are not, I, I think they're, from what I read, they're, they're neutral and they're certainly not harmful, but there's a perception of a, you know, not in my backyard. Does anyone want that? Right. Um, and that's that's a little bit of a of a problem because you know the world needs industrial space, and right. And uh, th- there could be an answer. Definitely could Again, be. Again, yep. big, big, big investments for that, and there's a reluctance sometimes I think from from others to make those investments because of the politics that surround it. Right. 
Well, we've got about three minutes left in our in our little little segment with you, Ron. And I wanted to kind of just kind of touch base on that. Back in two thousand and seven, you guys had purchased the assets of Waste Management. What was that like? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Tell us a little bit about that to kind of recap or, or wrap this little show up with a bow. Uh, sure. Well, our our company is private equity backed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have support from the capital markets, which helps a great deal. Uh, Street Capital and, and uh, Buffalo and um, Ironwood out of um, Avon, Connecticut. So they're big supporters of ours. And having capital, like any business, needs that capital. Oh, yeah. So we had done a, a few deals with waste management over the years. And for reasons only they would know, they wanted to depart from New York City, huh. just on the hauling side. And since we had a relationship with them, they asked if we'd be interested in buying it, and we said sure. And that, frankly, um, quadrupled the size of action overnight. So sure. the smaller party bought the, the larger party. Yep. And we still, waste management is still very much involved in New York City, the disposal side, but no longer the hauling. So that, that was, um, it was pretty exciting for the, the team to, to go from to buying maybe eight to 9,000 customers came with that, where previously we only had 2,000 of our own. So it was put a lot of stress on things, but it brought everyone together, and then we got a lot of good people who came along with that deal as well. Yeah, and that's... And frankly, and that's, they helped bring yeah. us some more sophistication because of their, their background with a company like Waste Management. Well, and that's why I wanted to kind of make sure we brought that up because it's, it is such an unbelievable challenge this, these days, of course, for uh, the guppy to swallow the whale. I know it's probably a bad right. kind of comparison, but you, it takes no, an awful lot of courage to really do that, you know? Well, um, it, it may. Uh, we've mergers and acquisitions is one of the things that we think we do well. Yep. Uh, and in the case of waste management, which was certainly the only time we've ever um, bought a company that was larger than ours, but Interstate Waste, we, we used to own. Mike DeBella founded that company. We sold it. We brought that back two years ago, and we doubled the size of the business overnight. Wow, wow. So, you know, we do have Ron, some experience with that. This has been great. I, I Thank you for your take on the industry. Thank you for your take on Action um, and also Interstate Waste Services. We've been talking with Ron Bergamini, CEO of Action and Action Environmental and Interstate Waste Services. Ron, I hope you'll come back and kind of share what's new and exciting about what you got going down the pipe. And um, and thanks again for joining us. I, cer- I certainly would. I appreciate the opportunity to let people know that this is a sophisticated and professional industry. You're the I man. Thanks, buddy. All. Thank you, sir. Thanks, pal. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Ron. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've got a great product, and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes, because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. 
At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. Today, our world is faced with complex challenges that present massive potential risks. Conflict, misunderstanding, misalignment of organizations and their leadership, lost productivity, wasted time, and wasted resources resulting from limiting perspectives, distraction, and hardline positions are damaging our today and our future. The monetary cost of such failures is in the billions. Stop wasting time. Make a shift. Engage with host David B. Savage on Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration, Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our final segment of the day. It is our news and notes section. Companies and brands you'll be hearing from today include Kroger's, Fry's, Sprouts, Chipotle, and Starbucks. And the news is brought to us by GMA Smart Brief, Smart Brief of Sustainability, Specialty Food News, Smart Market News, Supermarket News Daily, and Just Food. Now, not long ago, advertising products on their eco-friendliness only connected with a small, dedicated set of buyers. A wider, aware, a wider awareness of human impact on our fragile ecological state changed all that. Over the course of the past decade or so, the increased buying power of eco-conscious consumers, particularly amongst millennials between 18 and 34 years of age, augmented the sales landscape, inspiring everyone from local Main Street businesses to multinational monolith corporations to emphasize sustainability in their marketing. Research from a variety of sources suggests that there are benefits to switching to sustainable packaging for businesses of all sizes, including everything from increased yearly sales to courting a youthful consumer base who cares more about what a product says about them than how much it costs. In short, 
Consumers are interested in buying products that are labeled and marketed as earth-friendly. But will they really pay more at the register for sustainability? Research says that most global consumers, especially millennial buyers, are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Natural Marketing Institute, a Nielsen Strategic Business Collaborator, conducted a survey across nine countries to gauge how buyers' attitudes and behaviors about sustainability are changing. They found that two-thirds of the sustainable mainstream population will choose a product made from sustainable sources over conventional products. Of that two-thirds population, millennials made up 51% who are willing not only to pay more for sustainable products, but also seek out labeling of the packaging that indicates it's sustainably sustainably produced. Huffington Post notes that this is an increase of 26%, 26% over the course of six years, marking a trend that is gaining steam. Considering Generation Y is now the largest generation in the labor force, according to Pew Research Center, this is quite a monumental finding for business owners looking to get an edge over the competitors. It's no secret that Kroger has been expanding its products, its product to sells at all its stores. But consumers might not know the company is making some high-tech updates on how a grocery store functions. For example, few companies probably are aware that every time they walk into a Kroger, an infrared camera notes their arrival. In 2012, Kroger rolled out QVision, a technology platform that uses sensors and predictive analytics to feed managers real-time data, the first and currently only system of its kind in the U.S., by granting managers knowledge of how many consumers are in the store in any second in time, QVision gives them real-time knowledge of when long lines will happen, where cashiers are needed before a pileup even begins. Data collected over time is fed into the algorithm to provide predictions of exactly what to expect on certain days of the week. Before the feature was deployed, average wait time at a store for, was four minutes. Today, it's less than 30 seconds. QVision is just beginning its futuristic tech at the company. At an investor conference in late October, the company reported that 17 million customers have digital accounts with Kroger, with more than 20% of all the customers using digital tools in certain markets. Mondelez International is testing personalized packaging for the first time with a holiday offering of its Oreo power brand. Oreo color-filled packs enable fans to create customized packaging wraps by choosing holiday motif graphics, colors, and messages, and including a personalized note for the recipient. Users create their wraps on desktop or mobile shop apps at shop.oreo.com, working from exclusive illustrated black and white designs from graphic artists Jenny Ville and Timothy Goodman. They choose a design and color to paint with, then either let them site populate the design or use a digital print paintbrush to fill in each image. They also add accessories such as scarves and antlers to their images and use a circular cookie to spell out a holiday greeting like ho, 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 or joy. The color-filled packs, which ought to appeal to fans of the adult coloring books craze, as well as kids, are available for a limited time while supplies last. And each pack costs $10 plus $5 per order for nationwide shipping. Whole Foods Markets on Wednesday recognized the need to move faster and go deeper to rebuild traffic and sales and to create a solid foundation for long-term profitable growth. Though promotions and through promotions and price investments are an integral part of its plans, we are not participating in a race for the bottom, says John Mackey, founder and co-CEO. The Austin-based Texas comp- Austin, Texas company also announced plans for a $1 billion share repurchase. According to Mackey, Whole Foods recognizes that we have our work cut out for us, 
but we believe we're taking the necessary steps to regain our sales momentum, fundamentally evolve our business model and produce returns that the investment community expects and that we expect from ourselves. Food service spending and visits increased in in the summer quarter of 2015 in the U.S., Australia, China, Germany, and Great Britain, according to the NPD group. Snacks and morning meals were overall market drivers. Traffic and average checks were flat or slightly declining in France and Japan, while Canada and Russia saw drops in demand. Quick service visits were generally up or flat, but fell in Japan, where quick service is not the dominating sector. Visitors to full-service restaurants, however, declined in Australia, Canada, China, and the U.S., Where other specialty grocers have faltered, Sprouts Farmer's Market continues to flourish. In its third quarter, sales were up 18% to more than $903 million, and comparable sales were up nearly 6%. According to IGD Retail Analysis, Sprouts offers sharper pricing of fresh, the retailer's key category, and creates a more convenient and easy shopping trip for consumers than other retailers. The proof is in the numbers, with 75% of sales driven Again, 75% sales driven by increased football and 25% driven by high basket spend. Sprout's new and expanded deli offering and private label products continue to be important growth areas for the retailer. In the coming months, the company is also expected to accelerate investments in areas such as product innovation and store enhancements. The seeds from wine and grapes are usually discarded since they aren't needed to produce wine. But researchers for the U.S. Department of Agriculture Research service believe they could be repurposed. The seeds are sometimes used to make grapeseed oil or given to livestock, but they could also have nutritional and health benefits for humans as well. Researchers are testing a theory by feeding food made with flour made from grape seeds to rats, and so far, they've found that the gut bacteria linked to obesity, diabetes, and cholesterol in the rats is decreasing. Previous studies have found that Chardonnay beans have the highest level of flavonoids and anti-inflammatory compounds and are able to lower LDL or low-density lipoprotein cholesterol levels in lab tests. Sheft teams with Beyond Meat, an online meal store, a purveyor of plant-based protein products, have teamed up to deliver two new meal kits, a Beyond Meat Beast barbecue kit featuring Beyond Meat's vegan beast burgers and artisanal artisanal uh, condiment company Sir Kensington's Ketchup and Mustard in a feisty taco box using Beyond Meat's vegan beef-free crumbles. Chef, which launched less than a year ago, offers more than 150 meals and continues to add more than 30 new meals each month. Dishes are are offered based upon different skill levels and customers can order or try new recipes. Downtown Manhattan is poised to become an epicenter for eating with a slew of high-end and specialty restaurants slated to open in the area by 2017. Major chefs include Joel Rubichon, Nobu Mashishida, Drew Neoport, Wolfgang Puck, and Tom Choletto, which open locations in the areas of enormous eateries, including a 40,000-square-foot seafood marketplace, which are slated for opening. Markets that specialize in ready-to-eat foods are making an appearance. The new openings are expected to expand food options in downtown Manhattan beyond fast food restaurants and steakhouses, potentially turning it into a foodie destination in its own right. The growth has been partially attributed to an influx of tech and media firms in the area whose employees tend to be more adventurous than the traditional Wall Street workers used to dominate the area. Starbucks and Subway become the latest mainstream food service operators to announce measures on animal welfare. Coffee shop giant Starbucks has has given itself a goal of switching to only cage-free eggs by 2020. 
The company said it first started buying eggs in 2008 and has made significant progress upping the amount it's sourced every year. It said there's work to be done across the industry to increase supply to address market conditions. At Subway, the sandwich chain said in early 2016 it will start a move to serving only meat from animals that have never received antibiotics. The switch will cover all of Subway's 27,000-plus outlets in the U.S. In an indication of the sourcing challenges, Subway outlined a three-step process. The transition to chicken raised without antibiotics will be completed by the end of next year with the switch to antibiotic-free turkey. While starting in 2016 is expected to be done within two to three years. For pork and beef, the timetable stretches out further with Subway saying the move will be complete by 2025. Hey, folks, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thanks again to Ron Bergamini, CEO of Action Environmental and Interstate Waste Services. Many, many thanks to Winston Winnie Price, our producer, my executive producer, and our producer, Jamie Berling, and all of our friends at Voice America. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, remember, it's your product. Package it properly. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join David Maranak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.